code keepers. As you can see, you see some uh, old faithfuls on the line, and you see a new face as well. And we're dealing with trauma, and we're dealing with loss. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, you know, what's this have to do with empowerment? What's this have to do with Black empowerment? And you know what I'm about to say, right? Stay tuned. All right. Welcome to Get On Code, The Fly Guy Show, which is a series of melanated conversations focused on empowerment, health, wealth, and knowledge itself. People think in binary choices because they are conditioned to. And on the wall was a picture of a wolf and a lion. I think the wolf was the Democratic Party, the lion was the Republicans. But the drug trade and all these illegal stuff that uh, people do, that's still economics. It's just that they couldn't do it in a traditional system. We're talking about melanated wealth. So we can build wealth, but we just, for some reason, don't seem to be able to transfer it. You had a great experience. Fine, that means nothing. What were you told as a child about education? You had to be how many times better? Every impression without an expression becomes depression. Recently, I lost my father and I lost him during a time where I was in the middle, I would say of a drama slash journey as well. Uh, one of my biggest fears, and I know I wrote the book, Six Ways to Conquer Your Fear, but in order to conquer fear, you have to face all your fears. And right. so one of my biggest fears was actually going to prison. And I did not realize that, that I had a phobia against it because I had different uh, viewpoints of prison due to the fact of my cousins and my brothers having that cycle. So I was there as a visitor, but to actually have to take a prison walk yourself is totally different. How do we stand on our square? How do we keep it all together when we deal with this type of trauma and loss? You know, Queen Phoenix, you help people. You help people while you were in jail. <laughs> you help people before you were in jail. And I know you're going to help, you know, a, a, a bounty of people now that you're out. How do you teach people to deal with the trauma and the loss? Dr. Corporal, how do we teach people to deal with the trauma and the loss? I don't know if I'm the best person to answer that right now, uh, Seiko. Um, I am relying on I'm relying on community. Um, I think that handling loss and and, and trauma, you know, if we, you know, if I'm if I'm being Dr. Corporate right now, handling loss and trauma means that one, you have to acknowledge that loss exists. Uh, one and two, you have to acknowledge that trauma exists from that loss. Um, if you don't acknowledge it, if you don't acknowledge the, <clears throat> excuse me, the feelings and emotions that are tied to that, um, that can be deleterious impacts on not only on, uh, as, as Queen talks about the, the internal aspects, but on the external aspects of your life and having the support, having the support, the mechanisms, the, the folks that, um, having the folks that will really allow you to open up uh, and say how you're feeling. One of the things that I had to realize is that I had to be okay with saying yes to help. Um, and I realized that, you know, that was that was the thing, like, you know, the masculine aspect of, yes, I'm, I, I'm dealing with pain, I'm dealing with, but I still, you know, I still got this, you know, I, I still got this. and. You know, one of the things that, you know, as Seiko and I talked the other night, you know, so many people were like, I've got you, you know, just let me know what you need and let me know what you need. And I finally said, you know what? I don't know what I need right now, but if you do anything, I am going to be very appreciative because whatever you do is going to take something off of my plate. And that is, that is part of this process of loss and trauma is to allow folks uh, particularly from a masculine perspective, to allow folks to really love on you and to lean on them and allow yourself to be vulnerable through this period of loss and trauma. And that's something of, you know, for, as I'll say, strivers, people who are out in the world doing things who are really independent, you know, saying, okay, like, I'm gonna let you take care of me is a part of the process of growing and, and eventually healing because you cannot do this alone.
You know, I say on my show all the time that you need to surround yourself with folks who allow who will allow you to bring your dreams out into the world. You will also need folks to allow you to let to, let you lay your head down on them to console you and love on you during periods of time. And that that is so true. And I know Seiko, when you said that I helped people, I helped people due to the fact of my own experience. Um, my first loss that I experienced was my very first daughter who uh, passed away at five and a half months through uh, SIDS. Um, middle of the night, woke up to give her a bottle and found her gray in the face in the crib. No one could explain to me what happened. She had just had her well child checkup. Everything was perfectly fine. And then on New Year's Eve night, that's what I go and find. And I have to say that I lost me. At that moment, part of me died too. And sometimes even thinking about it, it still brings tears to my eyes. And that's been a while uh, since that happened, but it was not only her, but before she passed, I was pregnant again after her. So I went from being a mother of two to a mother of none. So I had a miscarriage October 4th of that year. And then New Year's Eve of that same year, I lost my first child. So I lost two children in one year. And so for me as a woman, I started feeling like I was unworthy of being a mother, that it was something wrong with me. And so I blamed me for so many years in regards to the death of my children. So when you looking at loss, I had to first come to the reality that it wasn't my fault because sometimes people start blaming them. What could I have done differently? What could I have done better? And it really takes a toll on you. I can't honestly say for me, um, the loss of my children stuck with me for, I think it's still with me now. I still, like I said, I still keep both of my, both of those children's pictures up. Not only that, but I have my son who's now 25 now. After him, I had another child and gave birth to a stillborn. And this really kind of took me for a loop because when I went to the doctor, I had no fetal movement, got to the clinic, they checked me, they officially told me that my baby had passed and sent me home with a dead baby inside of me. Cause they said they could not get me into labor and delivery that day. So I had to wait until the next day at 7.15 in the morning for them to actually put me in labor to know for sure I was gonna push out a dead baby. So when I say I've dealt with loss and trauma and to still be able to walk with my head up, I tell people, yes, I've lost some marbles. I'm the first one to say that. Yes, I am crazy. I tell people that all the time. I do not deny it. And I tell people how it gets you through identify and accept the fact you will never be normal again after a loss it's just impossible okay and i always ask people now what is normal truly compared to what because everyone has dealt with some sort of trauma and trauma and loss change you and after losing my three children then two years after that i lose my mom who's my strongest backbone yeah, I, I sometimes I look back over my life and still wonder how I made it over and how I'm not sitting at hilltop myself playing with my top lip and drooling at the mouth. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like sometimes I should have lost this a long time ago. But I can always say it's because of the grace of God. It's because of the foundation of the word that was instilled in me. I, when I was born, I had six grandmothers. So I was able to know my great grandmothers. I had the blessed privilege of knowing my grandmothers. So it was like a history instilled in me of strong, powerful women that were around me. So it was like God was preparing me for the loss and trauma that I was going to face. Because like he said, he knows our end before our beginning. So it was just like I had that strength from the beginning. But did I break? Yes, 
and every day it takes a lot to get out of bed every day it takes a lot i mean when i talk i i go through therapy i tell people right now i talk to someone i have a therapist and when i talk to her she still wonders why i'm still sane and because she's like you've been through so much trauma in your life what what is it that keeps you going and what keeps me going is that i look at it that what i've been through is my ministry to help others get through if that makes sense what i've been through it was a reason and a purpose for what i went through and i feel like if i swivel up and die right now that guess what that story will not be told to be able to help and deliver someone else so i got to keep pushing it's not about me it's about millions and millions of other women that either gone through or can relate with my story that my strength will eventually give them strength to say hey babe you can continue on you can get up and push through so that's what keeps me going is the other women out there that i know that need to hear my story i cannot let my story go to the grave with me i can't that's unfair and that's being selfish to the us rest of the community out here everything we go through in life is to be that shining light for someone else it's not about us it's about the people that we help along our journey and the things that you go through the loss and the trauma that you go through is your ministry for someone else i agree You know, I'm just going to let that process. But in the midst of that, I wanted to ask you a question about. Do you feel on a particular level that you were chosen to endure what you did so that way you can be, for lack of a better term, a testimony to someone who may be in a similar position who can't see the light at the end of the tunnel because a lot of times yeah because a lot of times you know the old saying uh let your mess be your message let your test be your testimony and when when i wrote that first book even everything that i went through to get that book out there i kept telling myself that there's somebody waiting for that answer and that I could not be a generational thief is how Dr. Miles Monroe called it. So did, did you feel that you were being prepared going through that that age of turbulence? Minister Zombie, to be honest with you, in the beginning, I used to always ask God why. I have to be honest. I was that why person. And every trauma that I faced, I was always going to him like, why? Because you know, when you listen to the heavenly father that we have, you think that everything is supposed to be peaches and cream, just to be honest. But when you start going through, you do ask why. And then the question came back to me, why not you? And so I realized that things that I went through in life is because God knew that I was going to be strong enough to get through it. So therefore I could be a living, walking example for others. Because I realized it's certain people that probably did something that should have went to prison. But you know what? They never did. Why? Because God knew they wasn't strong enough to handle it. Okay. And and to Doc, I know I had mentioned earlier about what, what my elder once told me about the manhood journey, about once the father become an ancestor does the son truly become a man where are you right now in in that journey knowing that the grandmaster teacher is not physically here and how do you prepare yourself to move forward without that physical presence that's a great question that's a great question um I remember that at my father's viewing minister, um, my niece, you know, uh, my father, you know, my father had a number of names, Candy, 
the Candyman, uh, the core crew, the Admiral. Uh, but our pastor at our church would call him King uh, and my mother Queen. And um, one of our family friends came up and said, well, the king, the, the, the king has passed. And my niece said, well, and she looked at me and she said, well, you're the new king. And, you know, you, you think about this passing of the torch, this passing, like I said, you know, my father was a, my father was a juggernaut. He was a luminary. Um, and, you know, thinking about what his legacy is and how that has been, then transcends down to me. And what is, what does it look like to be a king, a king that, that bears the same name as him? that bears the same likeness as him. And to think about what he seated in me, not in his passing, but what he seated in me as a child, you know, and, and Seiko's probably heard this story. My father sacrificed being the first Dr. Charles S. Corporal because he needed to spend time developing and growing his son. And so, I not only think about what you're saying, but I, I, I look back at the history of the sacrifice of my father and those sacrifices along the way that have allowed me to build wealth, to allow me to build education and knowledge, to allow me to go out into the world. And so now, as now as 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 you know, as the king has been laid to rest, I now have the tools that he prepared me to lead because he had, been, he had been providing those tools since the day that I was born. He had been sacrificing because that's what kings do. They sacrifice, you know, they, they sacrifice their lives. They, they provide fodder and food and, 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 and finance and wealth. And that's what he did, minister. He did all of those things. So in his passing, right, it was like, now it's time for you to walk with the tools that I've given you. And I've been doing that, but now it's time, you know, because at, at some point, who's going to be saying those things about me, at the, like they said at his funeral? And I'm going to hope that accolade about my father, that and somehow when somebody's talking about me, that they know that they were, the things that they're saying about me were seated in me by Bertha and Charles Corcoran, not only my father, but my mother, that they could see the remnants of what he had seen in me for a long, long time. You know, and so that's a long-winded answer to say. I is that he had been grooming me to be king for a long time. I, I would dare say that you were well groomed, good brother. Thank you, thank you, dear brother. Now thank you. we've just been blessed by Queen Malira Green, and uh, some of you be like, "Yo, say because she's been on the show the whole time." Because <laughs> I kept doing this. <laughs> 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 Queen Malira Green is um is 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 a professional in this area of trauma, in this area of depression, in this area of of dealing with loss. And you know, we talked a little earlier how you know my my recent losses. You know, my mother last week. Uh, you know, Doctor Corpru, his father in September. You know, Queen Phoenix, her loss of freedom when she was in prison. Before you, you know, before we allow you to go ahead and tap in, can you share with us what type of losses? Or because I know you, you're one of those people who's experienced a lot. What um, loss? Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Um, well, number one, peace and blessings, everybody. And my losses honestly started when I was three years old, when I lost my innocence. Um, I was exposed to sexual things at three. And that kind of started the trajectory of my life. And even if we come recently, I lost a total of 27 people in the last two and a half years. Um, and these are people that I've had relationships with for a very long time. Uh, from my childhood best friend to both of my great grandmothers uh, within months of each other um, to my aunt who passed away out of nowhere. One day we were getting ready for Thanksgiving and the next day we was burying her before Christmas. 
Um, and, and just sometimes just the loss of identity, man. Like I've had many, many losses. Um, but I would say for me, my, my biggest trauma, I would say has been trying to navigate through life after you can't call a person, um, trying to navigate through life after you've planned in your mind that you're going to be able to see someone again. Um, for me, that has been the hardest because I feel like that God allowed me to get through so many other losses in my life to share my life with others. And then when those people are no longer here for me to share my life with, it, it has been very banana. So I try my best to show up for people um, the best that I can, give people flowers um, when I can, uh, because I, I do understand that that trauma happens when something comes out of the norm um, and, and loss for people as much as we hear about it all the time. That that's never normal. Uh, so whether you are someone watching this because you lost a person, you lost a job, you lost a piece of yourself, you lost your innocence, heck, um, you even uh, lost some of your other things. Um, that is something that I, I have kind of gone through. I, 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 how do we help people through loss? You know, Queen Green. How do we help people through loss? Well, number one, we have to normalize what loss is and and not it be a specific thing. Um, I tell people anytime something existed and then it no longer exists, you go through the stages of grief. And it doesn't have to be a person. It can be a job. It can be you transitioned and you moved homes. Um, it can be something as small as that, or you change your diet. Like it, it's being able to understand if I once had something and I now don't have access to that thing, I'm going to walk through the stages of grief. So we can normalize that everything is not depression. Everything is not anxiety. Sometimes I'm grieving um, something then that will really help people kind of get through. And then understanding that grief is not a stepped system. You don't go from one step to the next. It literally is something that is kind of like a continuum that you can yo-yo through. So you may get to a point where you're in denial, then you'll go into anger, then you go into bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But even in those spaces, you can have a day where you are full in acceptance. And then there's a trigger that comes on, whether it's a song, whether you drove past a location or whether you had a conversation with someone, you don't just stop the grieving process or journey. You just learn how to better live with that pain. You just learn how to better endure it. So I think if we can just normalize people's experiences, that will be helpful. And then people sharing their stories. Um, that's why support groups are so powerful. Um, because if I can begin to allow for you to understand that you're not the only one that is going through this level of pain, I may can't feel exactly what you feel, but I can kind of say like, hey, I, I kind of have some of the similar emotions for myself that gives people an opportunity to share their experiences and, and share how things are, are impacting them. Then of course, therapy. I, I gotta tell y'all, therapy is very, very healing. Um, even myself, I'm a therapist, but I go to therapy every Friday um, to meet with my therapist to kind of process how I am doing with experiencing so many losses um, and how can I, I push through and having someone that can be outside of myself that can normalize the pain that I'm experiencing and saying, hey, Malara, it's okay to cry. Like you, you can help everybody else, but you need a space for someone to come and help you. And I think that that is also helpful when it comes to just loss and dealing with it. Well, I know a lot of us are resistant, reluctant, you know, use the R word, <laughs> retreating from, you yeah. know, uh, from therapy, from seeking help, mm -hmm. from somebody else getting in our business. But you're a living testimony to me that that therapy works. Uh, you know, you, you spoke in our last show that you participated in mm -hmm. on some of your suicidal attempts. Yes. Did therapy help you with those? I mean, you're here now. And so, you know, we can say it's the grace of God. You know, we can <laughs> say it was the ancestors coming through. We can say it was wasn't your time. 
But can we say that therapy is one of the reasons that you're still here? Listen, therapy has gotten me through so much. Um, I I have been dealing with mental health challenges since I was 13. And being 13 years old and looking at what was called a PHQ-9 and all these other things, I realized what I was experiencing to now recently starting back in September after, like I said, losing over 27 people in two and a half years. My therapist for me is my safe space. And I pride myself on being a therapist that tell people I go to therapy um, because I have PTSD. I live in suicidal ideations on a norm. A couple months ago, I actually was placed on a safety plan because my therapist was concerned that I was going to take my life because of the thoughts and things that I had. Um, But I'm very open and honest because for me, I honestly do not care if my license get taken away by the personal experiences that God allows me to go through because I share my experiences to let people know like, hey, I actually do this for a living, but I also need help. I actually do this for a living, but I also have thoughts. I actually do this for a living, but I too have to deal with my own human emotions and things like that. So I would say my therapist literally saves my life. I look forward to seeing her every Friday um, because I'm able to have that safe place to bounce off my experiences, to ask the questions that I need and to grieve and and being okay to, to grieve and have a human experience. I just had to let that breathe for a moment. You know, <laughs> I just had to let that breathe. Have a human experience. Well, look, you know, Dr. Corpru, you're trained in helping people. Can you speak to anything that Malira just said to the efficacy of something that she just said to the experience that you've had that relates to something that she's just said? Can, can you help those of us who are dealing with loss understand that she might be on to something? And you have to unmute to do that, bro. I don't think that. Can you put us back? Can you put us both in the screen together? All three of us? Yeah. No, all three of us. That would be good. Um, you know, sister, thank you for sharing so candidly uh, and uh, the vulnerability that goes along with that. Um, it is a wonderful thing when you can tell your story to folks and to be open. We need to hear that. Like, uh, as I mentioned earlier, oftentimes, uh, particularly from a, men, a male perspective, is that we don't talk about the pain that we experience, right? The trauma that has been in, in, inflicted upon us or the experiences that we've had that, you know, as a developmental psychologist, you know, help, you know, uh, you know, we talk about that, that word, et- the etiology of how we got here, the, how we developed into the people we are right now. And then how do we fight? How do we fight to actually mitigate that trauma? Right? That, and, and, and that's what it sounds like that you're doing, sister, is that you are fighting every day. And that's the resilient aspect of our people that, you know, we can't be folks that have crossed you know, oceans and, you know, at the bottom, at the bottom of boats, you know, chained and shackled together, body to body, uh, and not have resilience that resides within us. Uh, and the, the daily traumas that we experience of being people of color in this country and being people of color across the globe, um, we do have to fight. And, you know, uh, there are days that, there are a lot of days that we don't want to be in survival mode. We want to be in thriving mode. And, you know, as I said earlier, to do that, we have to, one, as you have done so candidly, sister, is to tell our story. Uh, two, we have to allow ourselves to be seen. And then three, we have to then embrace a community that embraces us. And that is the biggest part of this, is that when we can show up in community and that our community shows up for us, um, it is a wonderful thing. And I think that's when we can heal you know, but we cannot heal if we are not, we don't have the ability to tell the stories that you have told because we get embarrassed, we, you know, or not, I don't want to say embarrassed, we are, the word is shame, that's what I'm looking at, the word, there might be experiencing some shame and, and to be shame resilient is to say, I'm going to tell my story and if it, if it bothers you, then, you know, I don't know if we can cuss on your show, uh, say, <laughs> if my story bothers you, then, you know, fuck you. 
Um, you're not my people. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but we have uh, you know tappers in like Darwin Navas. Now I don't think Darwin Darwin is a goalkeeper. Might be a master student. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure, but uh, Darwin says men talking about their feelings openly. Crumbs, you've gone too far. This is conspiracy. I can't stand behind. I don't know if this is a joke. I'm assuming this is a joke, Darwin. But to be honest with you, that's something that not just Darwin states. Darwin Navas. I don't. I'm not talking about Darwin, the, uh, the, the you know, the famous one, <laughs> Charles Darwin. But this is something that I hear from a lot of us that it it demonstrates weakness if we talk openly about things we're struggling with. Can anybody debunk Darwin Navas? Man, I would just, you know, I'll say this. At the end of the day, a lot of people don't share their stories because they feel like it's going to it's going to disconnect them from their purpose. And men naturally feel that their purpose is to protect. You know, I'm I'm supposed to protect. So in order for me to protect, I got to always be on, I got to always be strong. Um, but just because you share parts of your story does not disconnect you from your purpose. It goes back to, like I said, I'm a whole therapist that tell people I go to therapy, not because it's cute, but because I need it. Um, but it doesn't change my purpose. It doesn't change how I can actually talk to people and get in therapy sessions and actually make breakthroughs for the people. Um, majority of my clientele right now is actually men. Um, men that is understanding like I can either continue this machonism or I'm going to actually do something about how I feel because how I feel is impacting my children, how I feel is impacting how I show up at work, how I feel is, is impacting my ability to even protect because I don't even feel protected myself. Um, so I, I think it all comes to the fact of men giving themselves permission to shift their perspective. If you can change your perspective, you can change your life. Um, and we need to do a, a lot less of how things have always been and ask ourselves how we actually want them to be. Um, do you want to be that person uh, that is constantly trying to seek air because you have this power syndrome that you have? Or are you going to be a person that's going to learn how to breathe again? Um, and being able to still be that safety and security for everybody around you. But if you're not safe and secure in yourself, that safety and that security is just a facade and it's going to fall apart eventually. Um, and that's why we do have men that's, you know, like this month is National Domestic Violence Month. We have men that's abusing people we have children that's being killed because people just won't shift their perspective so for me it's, it's not even about telling you to change your mind and I know it was a joke but it's, it's one of those jokes that I do take seriously because I have a little black boy that I want him to grow up and be able to tell me mommy I'm sad mommy I'm not happy you know mommy you hurt my feelings um, we practice that in my house. Did do it always work? No, because he still be doing however he feel. But I want to cultivate that experience for him and show him that he can be strong, um, yet emotional. And he can be emotional and still have a, a space of, of safety and forgiveness. So I just think it takes people doing something different to see something different and see it working um, is, is what I would say. And I agree so wholeheartedly with the queen raising four boys of my own three stepsons and one a son that's 25. And that was my whole thing in my household. I feel like that if we're able to have that open talk with our kids, to be able to let them express themselves at a young age, it teach them how to communicate. So every Sunday I used to have what is called open floor. If mom did something that was wrong, this is your place to let me know respectfully. And if I need to explain why I did something, it gave me an opportunity to explain it to them as well as gave them an opportunity to share how they felt about it. And this is the only way we're gonna be able to stop and prevent domestic violence. People don't realize, but it is a buildup from things that happened to boys at a young age where they were trauma and trauma happened to them, but they have not been able to talk about it. They say, take it to God or pray about it, especially in our community. And they don't have no place to release it. So then when it builds up and they finally snap, we wonder why they're being so violent or they acting out. 
and it becomes a buildup. And this is why we have so many men later on that act out and it comes violent or be abusive. And so I say this is the game changer of being able to have our young men being able to talk their feelings out and let them know it's not a weakness, but it's a sign of strength. When you can cry, that's a sign of release, which then will make you even stronger to be able to think a lot clearer to be able to make better decisions. And this is one of the things that even as women, we need to stand behind our men to let them know it's okay without putting them down or giving out smart jokes. Because if you look at it, most of the time, boys, when they're growing up, it's no buildup. They tear each other down and call it a joke. But you don't realize that unconsciously that's mental abuse. That's what plays in a person's head over and over again. A joke is not always a joke. And sometimes we need to take things a lot more serious because that carries on into someone's future. So I say, yes, this is a game changer by having our young men open up and share more and let them know it is their strength and let them know that we are here to help that we are that shoulder for you to cry on that's why women was made to be a man helpmate that's why we're king and queen i need a king to be able to walk as a queen and that king needs a queen on his side to let him know when his weak times are there he still has a shoulder to cry on but someone to still lift them up i I always like to keep things within a certain context. What the, the therapist was saying for African men, there's no place on earth inside this toxic incubator we call racism, white imperialism, where African men feel emotionally safe. Because when you're in a perpetual state of war, you don't get to enjoy being a normal human being. Okay. So when you're in a constant state of war, you know, there's an old saying, uh, there's no rest for the weary. So how do you bring African men who deal with uh, a war zone physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually? Where's the normalcy in that? Because I don't want us to look at a certain thing within a vacuum where how do we make sure that we can produce healthy African people inside this toxic incubator we call racism, white imperialism? Well, I, I don't, I'm, hopefully you are, I don't know if you was asking a question or not, but I think it, it really goes down to people like myself that I build relationships with people first. So before I even try to therapize you or life coach you, I'm going to be your friend. Um, I, I even tell people sometimes I have to make sure that I keep myself in check because I'm married. But I tell my husband all the time, I am black men safe place where I literally try my best to create that space of safety. So then when I did roll out my life coaching program for African-American men specifically, we had a group of black males that think this African-American woman that was pouring into them to say, thank you so much for creating this safe place for us. Or I had someone in Nigeria that I was able to work with days after his house got shot up where I built his confidence up for him to actually take a leap. So I don't want, I, I get you don't want the vacuum, but I will say there are some people that are out here that's trying to create these safe spaces. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we got to get to a point where, yes, there is a race war. Yes, there is things against us. Yes, you know, we, we have to do all these things, but eventually we have to say, well, what do I have access to right now? I know what we're up against, but is there any glimmer of light? If there is something out here that I can try to tap into, and that's what I try to encourage people because if I'm a mom, I'm a young black king, and I'm a wife of a, a husband, my husband goes to therapy every other week. You know, so he's found his safe place. He took that risk. So sometimes it's taking the risk to try to do something different, or we're going to keep getting consumed by the things that are against us. Trust me, I know there's a lot of things against us. 
But right now I've decided to make my own future and what that's gonna look like. And, and sometimes it's, it's being able just to create that platform. So I definitely don't want you to think I'm pushing underneath the rug what you shared, because it is true, it's 100% true. But there's also some people out here that is trying to create those safe place for our black and brown boys, for our black and brown men to be able to say, hey, I see you, take your Superman cape off, let me fix up your wounds. Let me hear what's going on with you. Let me get your brothers in here so y'all can start sharing and building on each other and know that you're not by yourself. So when you go out in this world, you now have at least a glimmer of light. So whether the white man is doing whatever to you, me black man, me black queen is gonna build you up so we can do something different. And I think that there's many people, I know it's not just me. There are some people out here that is trying to create that space. We just gotta trust them enough to do it and try to change that narrative and, and, and try to figure out what we can do from there. I just want to say this really quickly. You know, the, the, the one thing that I've noticed um, as I've gotten older um, and particularly in community and community of black men is brother's ability to say, I love you. And it hasn't been something that I have experienced on a regular basis, but for some reason, it, it, it seems to be that men are opening up and saying, you know, in, when I see when I see them or when I'm leaving, brother, I love you. Ending a phone call, brother, I love you. And that is a that is a refreshing thing in this in this world that we live in. When we know when brothers are, <coughs> excuse me, have the ability to just just say that to say. I love you and that is that you know that is a a residue that we need to continue to have because that that will then continue to allow <coughs> to allow us to grow excuse me it's interesting that you started coughing when you said i love you <laughs> I, I mean because that can be challenging you know, just saying that can be challenging. That, that, that definitely can be challenging. Why is it so challenging for us? Is it is just fear of being considered, you know, homosexual or transgender or whatever? Or, or, or what really is preventing us from saying, yo, Zombie, I love you, bro. What, what's preventing us from doing that? Well, I mean, there's there's a number of things. Uh, you can't give what you don't have. And you can't give from a space of emptiness. At least in my travels, in dealing with African men, there's, I, there's some level of emptiness that still exists within us. And I think part of the reason why we struggle with saying I love you, probably the fear of coming off being disingenuous. You know, uh, if I say it, am I being corny? Am I being disingenuous? Am I being facetious? Where it's not coming from a genuine place. You know, having played college football, I was pretty much like the de facto therapist, if you will, where I'm hearing guys who wanted to be this Mac or this player, but they've got a girlfriend back home who's the mother of their two children. And it's like they're stuck between playing this role at college and wanting to be with the woman who gave birth to his children. And, and a lot of guys struggle with that where they don't know when do I stop being this character of a Mac or a player and when do I start being a family man you know so that's just one example I think because many of us get caught up in situations where we don't know which way is up uh, are you saying that it's hard for us to say I love you bro because some chick at home with the kids. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to pull it together, bro. No, nah, it's, it's real talk. <laughs> it, it's, it's real talk because 
because we've been conditioned to be a certain thing but the reality is something totally different i'm just giving you an experience i've had you know in college years with teammates and i've just seen that play itself out okay okay all right uh you know okay you've seen it you've seen it happen in real life right and so would we consider that a traumatic experience queen green queen phoenix are, are those traumatic experiences as we get ready to round and bring ourselves to a close tonight um is that situation traumatic malira it is. Um, we talk a lot about big T's. So we talk about the sexual abuse and assault. We talk about the accidents. We talk about war grounds. Um, but we don't talk a lot about the little small T's, um, the things that occur in our lives that stay with us. Um, and as um, the king was talking, the thing that stood out for me, he said, you can't give what you don't have. That's something that Wayne Dyer says. He says, if I ask you for 12 oranges and you ain't got it, you got to go to the store and get these 12 oranges. And we're expecting for people to show us that they love us or to say, I love you, but they don't even have it themselves. So it really starts with self-love. And some people don't have self-love because they had so much trauma that told them not to love themselves. So where do you start? Um, and again, I'm going to go through this really fast. I'm going to give you all the Suffolk version. So bear with me. Um, so when it comes to self-love, number one, you got to get in bed with your story in order to conceive your purpose. You got to embrace those parts of you that you do feel is traumatic. Not that the world says it's traumatic, but what you still have stuck with you. When I can begin to acknowledge that, I can change it because then that gives me empowerment. Empowerment means I choose where my power lies, not the story that the world says my story should be, but in who I truly am, what I want to do. Because then once I can do that, then I know that I'm lovable. Once I know that I'm valuable enough to get love from people, I'm gonna be easy enough to give it to you because now it's not transactional, it's reciprocal. So what I give to you, you're gonna give back to me because I know I deserve it. Then the F is faithful. You gotta be faithful to your goals. Like at the end of the day, you have to know what you're pursuing. Not the image, not the thing that is the normal, but what is your value system? Because once I get to that, then I can live liberated. So then when opportunities come my way, I'm gonna be ready. And then if I do get to the bottom of the bottom, I can be ventilated with whether that's therapy, support, coaching, a conversation like this. So then the E is evolved. If you ain't go with me, I spelled out self-love. At the end of the day, it starts within, it starts with who you are, but you gotta begin to heal from those little small T's and sometimes those small T's is the messaging that men is getting on a daily basis of who they're supposed to be. It's okay for men to talk about how many people they slept with, but it's not okay for them to talk about how many people actually hurt them. You know, like we gotta change the messaging and really begin to love who we are on the inside because then that's the only way that a brother can start to say, I love you. I hear my husband all the time get off the phone with his homies now to say, bro, I love you. And I love that for him because now he gets it because he now loves himself. So get in bed with your story, change that bad boy. And then the trauma will allow for you to now learn from it and not hinder you to say, I love you to your brother and not feel a little certain way. Dot core proof. Mr. Call for life. <laughs> <laughs> got jokes. <laughs> got jokes. Uh, so you, you are preaching tonight. Um, you know what I'm saying? You are like literally, literally laying it down and our ability to talk about our trauma, you know, as you, as you said, um, it's easy for men to talk about how many women that they've slept with, but not easy to talk about how many people have hurt them, you know, and that in itself is a, a revolutionary thing when it comes to healing, like let's talk about that pain, right? Let, let's talk about the people that, you know, that have agreed against us and, and, and move, and then, and then have the ability to move past that. You know, that, I think that's the thing. Once we, you know, if we, if we're talking about this from a therapeutic sense, like we have to have the ability to move past trauma. Uh, many of us will hold on to it, uh, as if, as if it is the, you know, um, it's our flag to carry. Um, but for us to heal is that we need to be able to acknowledge the trauma and then move through it. Yes, the, it, yes, you know, it will still be with us, but how do we actually cope in a, 
a manner that is positive that allows us to move through the trauma and say, okay, I am being triggered, right? Now I can cope effectively when triggered through this trauma. So I love that you are just putting it in perspective, you know, and the ability for us to say, hey, you know what? I got some shit with me and it's been there for a long time. And therapy and the ability to practice, right? You know, the ability to practice coping in real time. It's not perfect. It's not ever going to be perfect. But if you can be better each time and be better more times than not, you will find that you're, as you said, you will be in a space of thriving, right? And not surviving, as the good minister says. Um, but I want to take this time real quick because I know, Seiko, you are uh, about to close this out. And I just want to acknowledge to you, dear brother, um, you have been leading this show in, a, in, in the midst of like the, the recent rawness of a parent, you know, transitioning. And I just want to say, brother one, thank you for being who you are and showing up in the world. Uh, you are a true revolutionary in everything that you do. You are unique. You are, you know, tremendously authentic no matter what, as long as, you know, and we're going on 29 years of, of knowing each other, you've always been this authentic person, no matter what the world had to say, you were going to do it your way and a wonderful way. And your leadership and your knowledge and your wisdom, you know, transcends everything that I have seen, brother. And I am in awe of you. So thank you for putting this together too, right? Brother, I want to say that I love you, you know, tremendously and for who Love you, you are too, and, and doing this time of loss, know that I and our line are with you every moment and every second, your sorrows, your joys, and you know the rest yeah. are, yeah. You know what I'm saying? That we are here with you through this period. I know that your king and your mother, your queen were so much a part of your life, right? And that you loved on them until the very last second they were in this world. So. Thank you for being the consummate son, the consummate leader, the consummate revolutionary, right? Thank you for all you do. And we know this time, right? You know, doing everything that you're doing right now, uplifting your community in this period of time is a sacrifice that you always give. So thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you for all that you do for the world and know that all of us on this screen love you and are here with you during this time. Within the so-called black community money circulates in other words stays in the community one day in our uh, latino community it stays in one week seven days all right and in the asian community 30 days and you know jewish community a little more than that and then the general white community stays in there for unmeasurable amount of time so the hr green book is our strategy to address the circulation and it's simply a directory in online and in an app form, the app's coming soon, where we can find our businesses. Let's see who uh, we have here. So right now we have 14 food trucks. Let's look at restaurants. All right, so let's say I want to look at a restaurant. Let's go with DJs. You know, I'm a DJ. Let's see who else is out here in the DJ world in Hampton Roads. List your business with us. You can simply go to list with us. And you'll see that there are some options. And we invite everyone to take the free option for right now. So start your search today in the HR Green Book and let's make sure our money circulates stronger and longer.